Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jibba Jabba with JP James. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to Jibber Jabber with JPJ. Devin and Jilly are here joining me today. Hello, Devin. How are you? Hi, I'm great. I am so excited for this episode. Um, I am not a runner, but I know your sister is, and she will take the reins. And I'm just going to sit back on this one. Let you guys do the talking. This is my younger sister, Jilly. Jilly, welcome to Jibber Jabber with JPJ. Are you ready to co-host this session? Hi. Yeah, I'm super excited because I'm a huge fan of Nick. Um, I'm also a a track and field athlete. I also specialize in the 800 meters um, at Fordham University. Um, It's actually funny because the name of this podcast, Jibber Jabber, came from my friend and teammate, Brandon Hall. So you're Uh, telling me that you didn't come up with this, JPJ? You're not an original? I am not an original. Anything that I do that gets released publicly goes through Jilly. Jilly approves every Instagram post, every podcast slash entertainment idea I have. It runs through Jilly. Jilly, Jilly, why don't you why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your uh experience in the industry? Yeah, so um I worked in the fashion industry as a model with uh, the society management. They represent Kendall Jenner, Camille Rowe, um some really cool names. So I did that for a while before college. And I've also done my own sports broadcasting interviews. So um, this podcast was a incredible opportunity, and I'm so glad I got to be a part of it. Well, that's awesome. Are you ready to interview the Brad Pitt of track and field, a two-time Olympian in the 800 meters in track and field, a YouTuber, and also the entrepreneur and founder of RunGum? He's a personal hero of mine, Jilly, and he is, in my opinion, the textbook definition of an underdog. So please welcome Nick Simmons. Hell yeah. Oh, Nick Simmons. Hello, hello, sir. I just wanted to, first of all, say that it is 
beyond an honor that you joined us for Jibber Jabber with JPJ. Uh, and I wanted to thank you for taking the time out of your hectic schedule because I know how busy of a guy you are. You have a thousand different things going <laughs> on at any given moment. And, you know, before we dive into anything, I just wanted to let you know on a personal level how big of a fan I've been over oh, the thanks. years. And, and I just wanted to touch base. You know, I have a thousand questions that I want to ask you, but I just wanted to let you know and just tell the story a little bit just because it's pretty personal to me. And it was just such a great moment in sports. The 2008 Olympic trials, the 800 meter race, for those of you that are unaware, um, the 800 meters is a two laps around the track race. Nick Simmons was the king of the 800 meters for <laughs> the 2008 and 2012 Olympics. And he had one of the greatest moments in sports, in my opinion. It's one of those moments that I look back to today whenever I need a, a rush of adrenaline or quick ambition. You were a relatively unknown guy in 2007. You'd won the Prefontaine Classic, but that's not really a widely televised race. And, you know, I, I would say that the Olympic trials is sort of the big track event, uh, you know, every four years, aside from the Olympics. And I remember you were relatively unknown. You were in lane one for the start of that race. And I believe you may have been expected to do well, but the gun went off and <laughs> the gun went off and you immediately drafted. It took you a while to get going. You started off in like last place, I think. And I think you were in last place or second to last up until it was the 600 meter mark. And you just came out of nowhere. You just slingshotted around that last turn with 200 to go. And I didn't know who you were. My family you know, certainly didn't know who you were. And, you know, just to give you a little context, you know, my, my mother competed in the uh, 1500 meters Olympic trials, 1980, 1984, 1988. And my younger sister, Judy, uh, by the way, this is my younger sister, Jilly here, who's also a, currently a track athlete. My younger sister, Judy missed the Olympic trials for the steeplechase by one second. So the Olympic trials in my household are are a much bigger event than the Super Bowl. I mean, my family is just composed of track fanatics, and I'll never forget, there was never a moment like that 800-meter race when you came out of nowhere in that last 200 meters and made the competition look like they were running a different race. I mean, you were running the 100-meter dash, and these guys were finishing the 5K. It was unbelievable, and you were a complete unknown. I believe you... Uh, you went to Willamette University, which is a D3 school, not even, you know, with all due respect, not even one of the premier D3 schools. <laughs> no. You know, the, the UW, you know, the University of Wisconsin public school system tends to dominate, you know, the Division Three across country and track circuit. For me, it really epitomized, you know, just an individual seizing the moment. And I believe that's, that's what you did. And it, it was certainly really exciting for me because, you know, I, I was sort of uh, an agnostic athlete at the time. You know, I'd played hockey from the ages of like six until 13. I stopped playing at 13 because, you know, we had moved up north to Wisconsin and, you know, the commute to all the hockey ranks, you know, became too much of a burden on my family. So I stopped playing hockey and I switched to basketball, wasn't really serious about it. But, you know, from a young age, I'd been a runner and the 800 meters was my specialty in high school. And I, I just remember when when you ran, you, you you sort of elevated the sport to a degree which we really hadn't seen. Cross country, you know, track isn't typically uh, a sport that tends to hit the zeitgeist. It's you know, it kind of has a, a cult, you know, and religious following. 
relatively speaking to other sports. And it was really exciting for me to watch the progression of your career. And uh, I just wanted to ask you some questions uh, about your Olympic journey, starting with at what age did you know you wanted to be an Olympian? That's a great question. A great introduction. You know, it's, I, I, I'm flattered. It almost seems like it happened to somebody else because I'm 37 now. I haven't run professionally in half a decade, but I go back and watch those races, especially the Prefontaine Classic in seven or the Olympic trials in eight. And I'm just like, what has gotten into that kid? Like he was just possessed. I, I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say it was like I knew from an age of like eight that I wanted to be an Olympian. I remember watching the Olympics growing up, Barcelona in 92 being the one that stands out in my mind. I was nine years old. And I'm like, oh, man, that'd be so cool to be an Olympian. Like, what could I possibly make an Olympic team in? And growing up in Boise, Idaho, I played ice hockey. I shot guns. Like, I'm like, oh, shooting maybe or bumps and jumps on the skis or, you know, there were lots of things that we did for fun, but I didn't run and I didn't get into track and field until I was 16. So that, and even, you know, long through my high school and even division three career, I never thought about running professionally. So I would say it wasn't until I was about 21, 22, when I was realizing that I was going to have to leave the nest that was college and go out and make money. Yeah. Let me ask you a question then, because you ran a 153-800 in high school, which is elite. That's an elite time. I mean, you typically can win a state championship just by virtue of breaking two minutes in the 800. Depends for any state, g- right? Florida, any- California, Texas, no. But in Idaho, you can win an, an 800 title in, in 159, yeah. Now, I ran 153 my senior year, but I'd already committed to Willamette at that point. Gotcha. And, and so what was, the, but what was the push to Willamette? I wanted to be a doctor. I'd have been a fourth-generation surgeon. My grandpa's a doctor. My uncles are doctors. My dad's a doctor. And I don't know if I really wanted to be a doctor. I just didn't know what else I wanted to do. Uh, and I saw Willamette had one of the highest acceptance rates in the medical school and they had a running program. So I was like, yeah, sounds good. Let's go to Willamette. I'll, uh, I think the, the, what sold me was the running coach at Willamette said, Hey, you're going to be a student athlete and not the other way around. Whereas all the D one universities I talked to said, Hey, you're here to compete. And if you can get a degree that's icing on the cake. And I'm like, well, I think, they, I think you have that backwards. You guys. So the D3, yeah, they, they were really blunt, and I appreciated their honesty. But as a guy who wanted to major in the sciences, the Division three program allowed me to focus on my academics first and run when I could. Um, and that's what I did. I, I was a 3-9 student freshman, sophomore, junior year. But my senior year, I kind of reorged my priorities and said, I either need to go and take the MCATs and stop running and focus on becoming a doctor, or I need to drop out of school and focus on running. And so that was my plan was just to drop out of school my senior year and go all in on running to get ready for the 08 games. And my mom said, you know, couldn't you just kind of, you know, seize, she said, literally my mom, who's a teacher, said, C's get degrees. Yeah. And right, like, How right. much work would you have to do to get C's in all your classes and graduate? I said, I can honestly probably just audit the classes and, you know, skip the is lap that, and still is get Is that C's. what you did? Yeah, I did. Like, I went from a 3.9 to I think I got like a 2.0 or a 2.5 my senior year. But nice. I went from being ranked... 98th in america to being ranked number two in america in nine months so man, that, it paid off man that's an incredible payoff and for those of you listening yeah. just know that i don't you recommend can, everyone do that yeah. thing you get but, to take risks in your life and at the age of 21 that was a risk i was willing to take worst case scenario i'd go back and retake the classes right so it wasn't that big of a risk i felt like it was a bigger risk to not see what i could do on the track if i actually trained full-time 
Right, right. And I think that's just comforting for some of the listeners who are aspiring athletes to know that you can go into college without having, you know, concrete aspirations of being an Olympian, but still kind of discover your talent that, you know, that's been undeveloped and really pursue that. So really interesting, Nick. Thanks for sharing that. I think if college is good for one thing, it's if college is good for one thing. It's trying a lot of different things. You know, I didn't, I didn't go to college knowing that I wanted to be an Olympic runner. In fact, that was totally farthest from my mind, but I tried a lot of things in college and found what I really liked. Yeah, I completely agree with yeah, that. Yeah, for context, I, I, I'm, an, I'm like a completely average runner at a small D1 school in New York, and that's really like cool to hear that, okay, you kind of went from, you know, a certain level to getting to the highest level. I mean, that's the ultimate dream, I would say, for me too. So I think that's like... That's awesome. And you got to remember also that everybody's on a different path. Like we just saw, you know, Sydney McLaughlin made the Olympic team when she was 16 or Aving Mo just won the Olympic gold at 19. Yeah, she, oh, I she, love her. Yeah, I do too. I wasn't even Insane. running hardly competitive at their age, right? I didn't do <laughs> right. until I was 29 years old. So everybody's Man. on a different path. And, and we may see another D3, you know, standout or, or someone from a small D1 school, yeah. or D2 or NAIA come out of nowhere everyone's that's, on a different path. They just got to find out what's going to work best for them. Yeah, I'm really interested in learning more about that. Absolutely. And, and Nick, you won seven national titles in college. Is that correct? Yeah, my senior year, I, I said, I got to I gotta get a contract, right? The only way to run pro really is to get a pro contract. And so I kind of went all in. And my senior year, I went out to the U.S. championships, USATF championships for the first time. So this is all of the best collegiate runners, all the best amateurs, all the best pros. Everyone that's an American can compete at this if they run fast enough. They take the top 32 men in the 800. You run three rounds, and they find out who's the best 800-meter runner that year. And I finished second in that. Um, so I went from being kind of this no-name D3 kid that no one had ever heard of to finishing second at the U.S. Championships. And every single company wanted to work with me. Nike, Reebok, Adidas, they all were like, who is this kid? We want to put our logo on him. So I, I signed a really small deal to run for Nike, and I moved from Salem, Oregon, where I was at school, down to Eugene and started running professionally for the Nike Oregon uh, track club. Got you. And did they support your living expenses from 2006, 2007 and the rest of 2008? So yeah, typically the way it works is uh, Olympic athletes, you know, when you're an aspiring Olympic athlete, you're going to work in Olympic cycles. So I came out of school in six, which meant I signed a, a two and a half year deal to get me through six and all the way through the Olympic games in eight. And then when I, when I made the team in eight, I signed another four year deal with Nike to run four more years. So a lot of times they're supporting you through the Olympic cycle, um, which is what they want. They're, they're in it for Olympians. They're in it for, you know, the Super Bowl of track and field, which is how many Olympians can we get? How many medals can we get? And uh, Nike, it wasn't, it wasn't like a multi-million dollar deal. Right. It was enough to barely pay my expenses without having to get another job. Right, right. Well, that's awesome. I was always curious about that because I know that, you know, the viewership for running is, you know, we're pretty niche audience. And so that's interesting to know those Oregon track club guys are relatively taken care of. So they don't have to work a second job. You of course know of a uh, Steve Prefontaine, you know, oh, yeah. who really had to grind it out and train simultaneously. So that was, that's interesting. I, you know, I wasn't aware all, you know, Oregon, uh, what, what was it? Uh, the Oregon track club a yeah. athletes are all uh, supported by that club. That's awesome. For the most part. Yeah. Well, I, I was in a, if you're, if you're part of the club, it's kind of a unique situation where not only do you have a deal with Nike, but I had a deal with the Nike Oregon track club. So I was getting coaching. I was getting travel. I was getting gear. I was getting massages. I was getting a monthly stipend, you know, and 
to make an Olympian in track and field, you're, you're going to spend anywhere from 50 to a hundred K a year to, to, to provide that athlete with everything yeah. they need. And coming from uh, Willamette University, did you feel as though you had sort of like made it as an athlete that you were able to, yeah. you know, just lit do your sport as your profession? Did you did you feel like a great sense of accomplishment? Did that empower you to? I did. I think you know, coming from a D three level where we had absolutely nothing, like I had to buy my own warm ups, to now having all of these resources, I remember just looking around. I'm like, there is absolutely zero excuse to not perform well. Like if I can't perform well with all of these resources, then I just need to go do something else. And I really had that mentality, whereas some of the D1 counterparts, maybe the kids that went to Oregon, actually took a step back in support. I wow. was just overwhelmed with support and resources. I'm like, this is insane. You mean we don't have to pay yeah. for our own warm-ups anymore? <laughs> They're like just rolling <laughs> their eyes. So oh I had gosh. that you know, kind of uh, new kid on the block mentality, and, and it, hel- it worked for me. I, I just was so grateful, so appreciative, and so hungry to prove myself that I just trained like a madman. And so also signing with a prestigious track club like that, did that sort of create a lot of pressure for you? Because uh, prior to the, or you did a recap video on the 2008 Olympic trials and you yeah. mentioned that you had a couple months prior to the race that you had sort of started to decline prior to the race. You said that you weren't sleeping right, you weren't eating properly and you, you kind stressed. of, yeah, you kind yeah. of, in, you, you imposed this funk on yourself. And I'm curious to know like how, you know, and if you could share with us, you know, the thought process that you used to dig yourself out of that. I mean, it couldn't just have been as simple as your prior coach that you would call just telling you, Hey, simple. look, Nick. Okay. Yeah. Let's hear yeah, it. I mean, it was it, sometimes uh, the, I'm the kind of athlete where I just got to get out of my own way. Like I'm a, I'm consistent performer. I'm a gamer. The more pressure, the better I do. Um, I feel sometimes we can beat ourselves before we even get to the start line. Right. And that's what I was doing. I was overthinking it. I was like the pressure of this. If I don't make this team right now, I probably don't get another contract. That's it for my pro running career. I don't, don't get another chance, you know, 2012. And so I was just let, letting my mind kind of wander down this rabbit hole. And it was as simple as just talking to my former coach, Kelly Sullivan, who just said, Nick, what you have proven, what was it? Nine times at the state level and seven times at the NCAA level and multiple times as a pro now, that the more pressure, the higher the pressure situation, the better you perform. He goes, I don't know what it is about your body and your mind, but the more pressure, the better you do. I, I don't know why you would be scared of the pressure, scared of the opportunity. You need to embrace it. You need to realize that you are going to do something that you have never done, and you are about to put on a show for the world. You need to stop worrying about it and start embracing like, we, we use this. We use this mantra a lot. Don't waste the opportunity. Just view it as an opportunity more than an, an opportunity to do something special than an opportunity to f up. It was like it was like night and day. Wow! It was just an it was just an instant. It was, there wasn't like a okay. Let me think about let's this say, for a day. Yeah, and maybe you know, I'll get over say, this hump. Yeah. Let's say you bat a thousand, right? Nobody bats a thousand. But let's say you bat a thousand and you're worried that you're going to lose your streak. You're delusional. You should be sitting there looking at your streak and saying like, I can't be stopped. Right. right and that's right, the kind right. of momentum. The kind of con- confidence that an athlete needs to take into you know a championship setting and i had done it you know a lot on on different levels but there's something so special about the trials and you kind of touched on this in the intro you get one shot at this right like the average track and field pro career is maybe three or four years that is a full olympic cycle so i kind of knew if i don't make this team that's it i get one shot at becoming an olympian and that, you know, that is just a lot to deal with. It wasn't pressure from the sponsors or pressure from my fans or family. It was all internally of, 
I know I have what it takes, but I have to do it on the day. Right, right. And so could you, and you talked about this again on, on your 2012 Olympic trial recap video. You mentioned that, you know, you were going moment by moment from the time, you know, the announcer announced your name, you waved your hand and you were commentating, oh yeah, that's me giving, you know, off a little bit of nervous energy. Can you walk us through like what, like thought by thought, what is going through your head before the gun goes off? Because those moments before the race and look, I haven't yeah. competed nearly at the level you have, but I just know at those state championships, I mean, what, when you're, when the gun's about to go off, you know, on, on a track and field stage, you're kind of in no man's land. The world is silent. You can hear a pin drop yeah. before the race happens, and there's nobody there to save you or to tell you that it's going to be okay. It's just you and your competition. What were you thinking to psych yourself up and to sort of use that nervous energy in your favor to dominate the competition? With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. There's something for everyone to enjoy, with all recipes designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. Enjoy a wide variety of easy, delicious options for all three meals a day, plus every snack and special treat in between within the HelloFresh market. I save so much time with HelloFresh. I don't have to waste any time doing meal planning, and I don't have to go to the grocery store. All I have to do is go online, click a few buttons, and the food shows up right at my door, ready to be cooked and eaten. HelloFresh's high-quality, fresh ingredients are sourced directly from growers and delivered from farm to your front door in under a week. Go to HelloFresh.com JPJ14 and use code JPJ14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash JPJ14 and use code JPJ14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. To be honest, once you're up and moving, it's, it's muscle memory, right? So one of the things that I had going for me is that the Olympic trials was taking place in my hometown of Eugene, Oregon. So I ran the same warm-up loop that I ran every single day. I did the same stretches that I do every single day. So it's actually, once you're moving, it's not that hard. You're like, I just got to do what, what I do to prep. The hardest part is those hours leading into actually moving. And then to answer your question about like r right before the race. And there's, there's such an awkward time gap. I mean, it you've is, already, yeah. you, you've kind of warmed up your, your muscles yeah. are already kind of going, uh, I mean, we'll, prior get to the announcement. The, we'll get called into the call room 45 minutes before go time. So oh, you're gosh. underneath the stands looking at your competitors, nervous energy, you know, and it's, it's not like you can get another warm up or stretch no, session you just, and you're kind you of your drills and you oh, stretch gosh. and tie your laces and you retire laces and, uh, <sighs> You all, you're so desperate just to get going, to use that energy for, for, for good rather than for bad. You just want to get out on the track. And once you're on the track, um, you, you, I, I remember you know, my sports psychologist and I would always say, if you're feeling nervous, put your blinders on, look down at the track, and remind yourself that that track is 400 meters around, just like every other track. It's made of rubber, and that is my office. I feel most at home in my office where I spend every single day. And so there was actually a ton of comfort once you get onto the track. Like, oh, finally, I'm where I'm supposed to be. You know, I've made it to, 
to, to my office, to my home. Interesting. So it just kind of sounds like just convincing yourself that d- despite the fact that you're about to enter into an incredibly intense competition, that it's just another day. It's just yeah. another race. It's well, just another a, train. If you, are, if you are a consistent performer, you can draw a lot of confidence from that. Hey, this is just another, this is what I do. I run around in circles. That is what I do. I don't need to overthink it. I don't need to strategize, over strategize or try to come up with some gimmick. I need to just shut my mind off and run around in circles. That is what I do. And it's really beautiful how simple the sport is of track and field, right? I'm not, you know, dependent on other players. I'm not trying to memorize plays. I don't have to lean on, you know, being sharp like a golfer does. I just put one foot in front of the other and just try to try to do it as 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 smoothly as possible. It's really a beautifully simple sport. Interesting. Yeah, John, John and I are actually both very highly anxious people. <laughs> yeah, we'll be like, we'll be ralphing before race, after a race, during a race. Like, I mean, yeah, the the intensity and anxiety gets really yeah. high. So you are you are telling me exactly what I need to hear. Like, this is going to be replaying in my mind this yeah. season. Like, what did Nick say? Oh yeah, okay, I'm replaying this. This is this is great. I mean, there were sometimes. You know, our brains, especially, I, I, I'm not super anxious, but I, I understand anxiety because I've been there before in business. Sometimes you just need a mantra. And, and it would be as simple as turn left, turn left, turn left. And I, as I go through my warm-up or as I'm out on the track, I'm like, I turn left, I run in circles. You know, something as stupid and simple as that keeps your mind from wandering to, what if I get tripped? Like, now all of a sudden, you're wasting energy worrying about something that's a one in 10,000 chance. Just just find a mantra that works for you. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So going into the 2012 Olympics, I think you were pretty aware that David Rudisha, you know, was, was going to win everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know when you're in a situation like that, does that impose any stress on you that maybe you're about to get beat against this guy who may be unattainable? I think what my sports psychologist and I did, as I recall, in that particular race where we all knew David was going to win, you know, instead of allowing that to be demoralizing, because he was so much better than everybody else. We said, thank goodness David Rudish is going to be in this race because he's going to make it super predictable. You know, the men's 800 is a very, very unpredictable event. But when you have someone like David out there calling his shots ahead of time, 
saying, I am going to go out on a world record pace and I'm going to try to run wire to wire to win a world record, to set the world record. We, it's all of a sudden like, okay, we all know how this race is going right, to play out. Right, right. So again, as a guy who, who again, I, you know, I think I perform well in high pressure situations, I want things to be as predictable as possible. And so I knew if that's the way this thing's going out, then I know exactly what I'm going to do. And I really only had to play out one race in my mind. And that's run your own race, hit your splits, leave everything on the track. It's a very, again, simple race plan in a simple sport. And I like that. But I think that applies to everything in life. You know, focus on, you know, your own story, focus on your own project, whatever it is you're doing. For those of you listening, this is directly applicable to everything you do in life. Any entrepreneur out there or any investor, businesses love certainty. We love predictability. That's why 2020 was so hard for us. It's why all the roller coaster of this pandemic has been so hard for business owners. I don't know what the world's going to look like in five weeks. How am I supposed to plan, you know, for, for supply chain, plan for hiring, plan for everything if I don't have any certainty? So on, on, on the field of play, certainty, the best that we could get was always refreshing, you know, and, and I think that uh, that's carried over a lot into business for us. Interesting. That's really awesome. And congratulations on Run Gum, by the Thanks. way. If you guys happen to be gum chewers, Nick, uh, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about Run Gum? In, in simplest terms, it's an it's a energy drink in gum form. So essentially, we looked at our favorite energy drinks. My, I have one in particular, I won't name it. But I looked at their energy blend. I'm like, caffeine, taurine, B vitamins. I love the way that that makes me feel. But I don't want to drink a big 12 or 16 ounce energy drink before I work out. I want caffeine, towering B vitamins. I want it now, and I want nothing in my stomach sloshing around. So I actually you know, kind of fell back on that biochemistry degree I got in college. And utilizing sublingual absorption, we found that we could get these stimulants to the body faster, bypass the GI tract. We just had to find a way to deliver it in a palatable way, right? So it didn't taste like vitamins, didn't taste like caffeine, which is bitter. We looked at lozenges. We looked at tinctures. We looked at dissolving strips. Ultimately, gum was the way that we wanted to go. Not that we are you know, fanatics about chewing gum, but it's a really phenomenal way to deliver stimulants and functional ingredients to the body. It really is. And I can certainly vouch for the act of chewing while you're driving. I was recently doing a, yeah, I was recently doing a drive from Nashville, Tennessee uh, to Maryland. And, uh, it was a 13 hour drive and I believe I got two hours of sleep the night before and you know, the act of chewing makes it impossible for you to fall asleep. You can't fall asleep if you're chewing something, right? Right. Right. And the and the added benefit of caffeine is just you know incomparable to anything else. So that's that's an awesome product, Nick. Uh, congratulations on uh, your continued you. success yeah, we, with Run Gum. Yeah, I launched the business with my coach in 2014, and you know, like any entrepreneurial success story, it's a roller coaster from the beginning, and good For years, sure. bad years, good quarters, bad quarters. Um, but we're now nationwide in Walmart, nationwide in Target. We're on Amazon, RunGum.com. So it's it's found it's found its little niche, which you know it seems to be. Active people that that love to live active lifestyles, whether they're running uh, around town, running errands, running into a meeting, like run gums that ace up their sleeve when they need it. Yeah, that's awesome. And congratulations with your continued success with that, Nick. That's incredibly exciting. But I do want to touch base on just a few interesting track topics as the Olympics are going on right now. So historically speaking, you know, the 800, the 15, the 5 and the 10, you know, don't typically see Americans on the podium. Correct. But, you know, re- recently, you know, Matt Centrowitz, Lionel mm-hmm. Manzano in 2012 made the podium for the 1500. Yeah. And I believe there, there was another gentleman who won for the 5K. But typically, 
And, and there was that other guy, uh, Clayton Murphy. Murphy was his name yeah. for, the, for the eight. But t- historically speaking, the Americans don't usually make yeah. the podium for those events. Is there is there a data driven explanation for that, Nick? No, but it seems to be cyclical. You know, I remember in the 70s and 80s, we were a powerhouse. In the 90s and 2000s, it kind of waned a little bit, and then it started to come back in in uh, the late 2000s and the teens. And I don't, I don't really know if there's data to support this, but it seems like when you see other Americans winning, it reminds you that this can be done. You know what I mean? Like, I remember, I remember before I won my silver in Moscow, you know, I had just seen so many other Americans get it done. Jenny Simpson, Leo Manzano, you, you know, the list goes on and on. And I'm like, this is something we can win. Like, I, I know the Africans tend to dominate and I know that, you know, it's going to, it's going to be hard, but I'm going to find a way to win a medal. And it took me five finals before I figured it out. Interesting. But I think you see, you know, you, you see people winning and you it just at that level, it reminds you this, this can be done for sure. There has been a lot of advances in technology, certainly with shoes and, and some, you know, training techniques and, but, everybody has access to the same things, right? So it's not like Americans have access to something that the Russians and the Europeans don't have access to. So I, I don't know that that's necessarily it. Uh, you know, I do, I, I absolutely loathe the NCAA, but the NCAA system is phenomenal at developing talent. Really? Um, do you think for, you know, this comp- you know this cycle right now, I don't, I don't believe we've seen the 800 meter uh, run yet do you think moving forward that we can expect to see americans hit the podium oh yeah i mean we're seeing it what aving a- mo won the eight yesterday um we've, we've done well in the sprints you know clayton's got a great shot in the eight for men's 800 i think um you know matt centrowitz and cole hawker in the 15 probably the, the final that i'm most excited for so i don't know that we ever thrive you know at marathon 10k steeple 5k those are always going to be tough for us, but we've really found our own in middle distance running. You know, and Emma Coburn, certainly in the women's steeple, has done phenomenal things. Right. Interesting. We touched on this earlier. I want to get back to it a little bit. You mentioned that you had access to a sports psychologist, and this yeah. seems to be a more prominent topic, you know, within sports and moreover, you know, the Olympics as it's happening right now, as we've seen with some of the athletes, did you have access to mental health resources in 2008 and 2012? It didn't seem like mental health was even uh, a, a topic. discussion. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, I didn't, I didn't in 08 and I wasn't until probably 2010 or 11 that I started working with a sports psychologist and I recognized that I was a pretty unhappy pro athlete. I didn't like the lifestyle. I didn't love the training. I, I liked being good at my sport. I liked what it gave me. In but, terms wait, of wait, wait, let me ask you this. You didn't enjoy running every day. No. I mean, we were running 10 miles a day. We were training twice a day, almost every single day. Like You, you get to a point where you're like, it sure would be nice to not have to run for one day. So and, wait, you, you, were, you, you, were running, you were running 10 miles a day to race two laps around the track. I averaged 70 mile weeks. Yeah. So I ran on the, average 10 miles a day. Was that the maximum amount of volume you did? To I never got above 70. Yeah. I never got never. above 70, but my perfect week was a 70 mile week and it fluctuated Damn. a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I was aiming to run about 10 miles a day and that's just for a two lapper, you know, our marathoners were running right. 110, 120 mile weeks. So I, I didn't love the lifestyle and I was kind of a bitter, resentful, you know, 20 something year old. And I worked with a sports psychologist to overcome that, to add longevity and, and happiness to my life and my career 
So I didn't burn out as quickly because I, every single season at the end of a season, I'm like, I'm done with this. I'm so over this. I never want to put another pair of really. You you don't feel lucky to earn a living by just running. You know what? That that that's not enough to sustain you. I would say there were a lot of days where I'm like, I'm I have the love. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I have the best job in the world. Um, And when you're tapering, when you feel good, when you're in race season, yeah, of course you're like, I'm like, I'm flying to Monaco tomorrow to race, or I'm off to Shanghai to race. This is amazing. (laughs) This is the best job in the world. Mm. But when it's, you know, February and it's 25 degrees or 35 degrees and sleeting out, and I've already run 10 miles in the morning and I have to go out for another four mile jog. I'm like, you know what? I studied way too hard to be doing manual labor. And that's what I remember thinking to myself. I'm like, this is what I do. I do manual right. labor is what yeah, I do. It is. You know, and I know yeah. that's a, that's a prima donna thing to say, but <laughs> when you're, when you're sure. really, really training and you are really grinding in those cold winter months, Without mm. any race on the line, you know, with no, uh, no, no prize money, no, no one's paying attention to what you're doing. Then it gets kind of lonely, and you do kind of let your mind wander and think this sucks. And so those were like a lot of the times I'd call my sports psychologist. I'm like, Jeff, I know I'm going to get through this. I know May and June and the race season's just around the corner, but I flipping hate my job right now. I hate it. I don't want to do this anymore. But I have to wake up tomorrow and do it again and again and again and again. And it's a lifestyle, right? You don't get to be at that level doing it as a nine to five. You get to that level because you approach it as a 24 seven job. That's a 50 week job. Like if, if, if you hate your job, you count down the days to Saturday and Sunday, Saturday and Sunday were my hardest days of training. <laughs> so, oh man. Like I didn't get weekends. I didn't get time off. I, there's no sick leave. Like you just grind. Oh, brutal. So how, how yeah. many hours a day were you? It probably takes an hour and a half, an hour and 50 minutes to run 10 miles. I don't know. Yes, but you've got to account the warm up. You got to count the stretching. You got to count the physio. You got to count like how many hours? Mornings, yeah. Yeah. I, I would show up to the track about 830 or nine and I wouldn't leave till noon. And then in the afternoons, I always came back and I either swam or I ran again, or you know, mm. some ancillary thing. Uh, most days. Interesting. Wow. If you want to, dude, I don't know if you checked it out. I have my 2012 yeah. Olympic training log available at nicksimmons.com, and people love this because I I never kept a training log. I thought it was stupid, but I remember during 2012 season, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna want to look back and remember just how hard I worked. And so I kept a training log that season, the only season out of 20 some years that I ran that I kept a training log and I transcribed it into a book and it's available at nicksims.com as a digital download or as a a physical book. But you can see every single workout I did in preparation for those games. It's kind of crazy. That's fascinating. Go to nicksimmons.com to check that out. I certainly know that I will. Yeah. But I'm also curious because this is another topic of discussion is, you know, we've seen recently with other sports in the Olympics, you know, there seem to be two camps of thought out there. There seem to be the people that think, okay, you're by virtue of the fact that you're in the Olympics, you are accepting the fact that you're about to enter a very high pressure situation. And that will either make or break you as a great athlete. And the opposing side, you know, seems to say, well, your mental health is just as important as your physical health. Yeah. So where, where do you sort of stand in that discussion? If, if you have made it to the Olympic Games, you've proven that you can handle the pressure, right? It, it's, it's, in a lot of ways, it's harder to make an Olympic team than to go in and compete at the Olympics. Right. I really mean right. that, you know, yeah. especially in track and field. Um, so yeah. when we see somebody like a Simone Biles 
who's won 30 medals for Team USA over the last however many years in the Olympics and the World Championships. When she taps out, something's horribly wrong. She doesn't. She's not a quitter. She doesn't tap out for you know just for for being selfish. Something must be going horribly, horribly wrong for her to need to step off the competition field. I thought it was incredible. And everyone said, well, she took the easy way out. I'm like, no, she didn't. She took the, the way out that's way, way harder. It's way easier to phone one in and just you know go through the motions and try to make everyone happy. It's way harder to stand up to everybody and say, no, I need to take care of myself right now. I don't care what you all are going to say. I don't care about letting down my fans or the USGA or team USA, I need to focus on my health right now. I thought it was brave. I thought it was awesome. I, I absolutely love to see it. Agreed. And thanks for that analysis, Nick. Very insightful. And this episode is supported by FX's clipped the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owners, racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Um, so do athletes today, I, I would imagine they have, you know access to a vast array of resources to sort of combat a lot of this anxiety that's and pressure that some of these a- athletes deal with. Is that correct? Yeah, but there's healthy ways and non-healthy ways of dealing with it. Like working with a sports psychologist is a wonderful thing. And I think every single member of team, I do know every team USA member probably has access to it. Uh, but you know, like for a poor struggling runner paying a hundred dollars an hour for a sports psychologist is really expensive. I was lucky that the club paid for it. But, um, you know, I think that's an invaluable resource. I think, you know, learning about yourself and what helps you, you know, process these emotions, whether it's meditation, smoking a little weed, which is illegal in competition in track and field, unfortunately, but legal out of competition. For me, the healthy way I dealt with it was working with a sports psychologist, taking a healthy break at the end of a season to press the reset button. The unhealthy way I dealt with it was I got blackout drunk every Saturday. You know, I did. I'm not proud of it. I'm not saying that that's what people should do. I didn't touch alcohol Monday or Sunday through Friday, but Saturday after I got my workout done, I would grab a case of beer and I would drink from in the midst the of ab- in the midst of training. Oh all my year gosh, round, all year oh. round. Again, I'm not proud of it. I'm just right. telling you the the amount of pressure that I was under, self imposed and and just you know, and also just the frustrations of of, of track and field and the lifestyle. I said, you know what. If I'm going to run 70 miles a week, I'm going to eat what I want. And every Saturday night, I'm going to get blackout drunk and go have fun and just live my life a little bit. Now, physiologically, that's a stupid thing to do, right? You wake up, you're hungover, you're dehydrated. You still have a 14-mile long run that's going to suck because you you know you didn't take care of your body. <laughs> I got sick a lot because I was you know just not, not being smart. But I'll say this. I ran professionally until the age of 33 and, and change. That's a long career. I made it 12 years in a, doing something that I didn't particularly want to do um, because I, I 
also lived my life along the way. You know, I had relationships. I went fishing. I drank beer. I ate cheeseburgers. I said, I'm going to still live my life. Oh, that's awesome. And for those of you who are contemplating the road of the professional athlete, just know <laughs> that you can do all the intense training and still have a great time on Saturday. As you Nick can. Simmons. I mean, honestly, I'm not endorsing it. And I really believe that alcohol is a very dangerous drug. And I I regret Agreed. a lot of my decisions, you know, and I probably would have run a little faster if I'd been able to deal with my emotions in a more healthy way. But, uh, yeah, there's a famous saying that if the furnace is hot enough, it'll burn anything. And, uh, I burned a few beers, you know, in training for sure. And just out of curiosity, because you, you just said that you, you did that for an extended period of time. Have you seen any sort of like lagging effect that that sort of behavior has had on you or was it because you did it so like... No, you know. but there's a there's kind of a lasting effect that you know I I use alcohol functionally to deal with stress or decompress, and though I am much more responsible and don't really drink, I almost never drink to to you know get blacked out or anything. Right. You know, I still lean on that drug probably a little too heavily in my day to day life. Not that I you know drink to excess, but I love nothing more than coming home from a long day of work and, and grabbing two cold beers and just sitting there and. I, I just, again, I think alcohol is a very dangerous drug. It's something that we can, can become very reliant on. It is also a drug that, you know, there's, there's worse drugs out there, I suppose. Right I, just, right. I just recognize that my brain chemistry responds very well to that molecule. Doesn't respond well to weed. I hate weed. It makes me paranoid and, and I don't enjoy it. But I recognize that there are some people out there where their brain chemistry responds very well to, to you know, cannabinoids. So I don't know, to each their own, I think. As I get older, I find that I'm able to deal with my emotions and the, the roller coaster and the brain chemistry in more healthy ways. Um, hiking, fishing, talking, probably healthier than yeah. the, the, <laughs> that's really That's really a, a fascinating take and one that I don't think uh, athletes ever open up about. So thank, thanks so much, Nick, for, yeah, for sharing book. that little you bit. You guys can always ask me anything. Yeah, yeah, Nick, thanks for sharing that. Really, really appreciate it. That, that That's fascinating to hear. And I'm surprised that drinking is just seems so counterproductive to fitness. I'm just shocked you were able to do that and run at such an elite level for so many years. My gosh. Yeah, but no, the, you know, there are athletes that won't eat dessert. They will not yeah. eat dessert for years at a time. I'm like, that's stupid. Why would you do that to yourself? You know, they burn out so fast. They do. They burn out so fast because it's not sustainable. Interesting. Yeah, you sound like you aren't very like super meticulous about what you were eating. It seems like you were pretty balanced. Um, that's uh, especially among women, female. Yeah. They feel they have to be very strict with their diet. Um, so I think that's that'll be really helpful for a lot. I was of lucky that I grew up in a household with uh, a mom that was really like from day one before organic food was a thing, and you had to actually go search it out at a, at a co-op or farmers market. Yeah. We were buying organic and eating like really healthy home cooked meals from day one. So I always kind of. I was, I'm fortunate that I learned about nutrition really early on, but yeah, I, if I wanted, you know, if I wanted uh, dessert, I was going to have dessert. If I wanted uh, pizza, then I'd have pizza, but I, I was trying to make sure in my back of my mind, I was eating healthy, well-balanced meals for the most part. Right. Interesting. Thanks for sharing, Nick. You know, I just want to touch on this subject real quick because, again, it you know, uh, we value your opinion here, and I'm sure other people would be fascinated to hear what your thoughts are. What What, what are your thoughts on making political statements during the medal ceremony when mm -hmm. the American flag is up. Yeah, go ahead. This you may be unpopular, but this is my opinion. Yeah. If you're standing atop that podium, if you won gold, that is your podium. You do whatever you want. 
If you're silver or bronze, that is not your podium. You are lucky to be there. You got invited. <laughs> all right. The, the right, winner, right. the winner owns that podium for the one minute and 30 seconds that their anthem's playing. And whatever they want to do, they have earned the right to do it. Now, personally, as a as a viewer, is this really the moment that you want to do that? But also, you know, I've I've never stood at the top of a podium. So I don't know. I don't know what that. Well, that at the world cha- at the world championships in Moscow, right? You won well, the silver medal. I did. Medal. I was silver medalist, and I was extremely respectful to the winner, uh, Mah- uh, Aman. And I said, you know, this is his podium. I stood there and smiled and took the picture. Right, but it was his moment. Not it was less my moment. It was his moment. I think. And so I don't. I I, I would say if you're a silver or bronze medalist, you know, don't don't detract from the winner's moment because they earned that. And if you're the winner and you want to you know, do a dance or protest or, you know, it's, it's your moment. You have earned, you, you've sacrificed years or decades of your life. You've earned those 90 seconds. You do whatever you want on that podium. As far as I'm concerned. Fascinating thought, Nick, thank you for sharing. By the way, uh, I did a, I was doing a run with, uh, Cameron, Hay- you know, a, yeah. a huge Cameron Haynes fan. So, you know, I did, you know, I joined him for like one of his crazy 20 miler runs. And I, I think you, you, you ran a sub four mile. Like, uh, was it on the? I think we were right on the side of the highway. Yeah, it was on the side and there of was the like, highway. It was all was, downhill. Yeah, there was a po- there was opposing traffic, and yeah. he was he was telling me, "Oh, Nick, you know, oh, Nick ran a sub four mile here," and I was like, "Wait, what? Like, this is Camp's in the middle a, yeah. of no." It's yeah. a lot of mutual respect because I just have so much respect for how hard he grinds and the kind of work that he's doing. But like, I dragged him out to do an all-out mile on the trail, and he's just like, "That was horrible." He goes, "I don't know how you do it. That was the least favorite run I've ever done." I'm like, "It's a different, it's a different that's, type of running, my guy." That's crazy. But you broke yeah. four. But that's just nuts. You broke four minutes in the mile just casually, yeah. you know, running downhill. Insane, yeah, man. That video did really well too. There, the the things I'll do, like I I don't run a lot anymore because it hurts so bad in my knees and hips. But if I if I have a good idea for a YouTube video, I'm like, all right, we just got to put the body through its paces. <laughs> nice, that's yeah. so awesome. Yeah, um, you're like my virtual coach. It's like if you you should get into coaching. I mean, gosh, you're. Well, you're you know what's so funny about that? Is everyone's asking me like, when are you going to coach? When are you going to coach? I'm like, yeah. I feel like I can connect with more people and maybe help more people out just via YouTube. You know, like right. we, drop a, we drop a tutorial video and it gets fifty thousand yeah. views. I'm like, that's, yeah, that's the that you, you could fill up a yeah. football stadium with fifty thousand people. It's insane <laughs> yeah. the, the, how many people you can reach on social hey. media right now. Yeah, yeah it's so I, valuable. And and you're the only you're the only uh, Olympian that I know of that you know is making shares content. yeah yeah it's making a making content and b you know sharing what your training schedule was gosh I would have done anything yeah. to have known what Nick I, Simmons I, I and I used to do it while I was running still I published uh, my 2012 training log in 2013 in 2000 yeah oh, I'm like guys man. This, this, uh, there's nothing there's nothing in here that's going to help you beat me like oh, okay you got to do the work until you actually log. 15 years worth of work like this you're not going to touch me so here have the knowledge oh like i feel like athletes sometimes gatekeep like yeah, my sister who's a distance runner always wants to know times workouts sometimes yeah. they keep that to themselves so yeah a, i mean i always and refer to 800 university um texas a&m they have they also have like one or two videos of workouts that are that are helpful as well uh, yeah yeah, yeah cool. keep cranking out those videos i'll be I watching will. I will. Thanks for watching. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. R- really enjoy those. My gosh. And yeah, you're doing good. You're doing great work out there, Nick. If you make it out here, let me know. We'll go for a run. Drag came yeah. out, out there too. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. That, that, that'd that be fun. For sure. We'll have to make it happen next time I'm in Eugene. Um, Nick, 
look, man, uh, if there's any word of advice that you can give to athletes who are out there struggling, who aren't competing right now, you know, that have to wait for the next Olympic cycle, yeah, or just athletes that want to improve themselves and, you know, compete a little bit, you know, better this coming season, what, what advice would you give to those who are sort of mentally struggling and need to sort of find their rhythm and whatever it is they're doing? You know, a lot of times, well, there's two things I'll say. One, um, a good athlete rolls with the punches. You know, every athlete at every level has overcome obstacles and, and whether it's a pandemic, which is athletes are dealing with now, or whether it's injuries or whether it's financial hardships, roll with the punches, be the kind of athlete that when a, a hardship comes your way, you kind of just chuckle and you're like, I was waiting for this. Let's go. Um, that's the kind of athlete that rises to the top because there will always no, there, no athlete gets to the top without, without obstacles. So that's what I'd say. Number one. And number two, when things get stale, like let's say you're, you're getting recurring injuries or let's say you're not having fun anymore. Or let's say, you know, just you've plateaued, try something new. People are so afraid to try something new, be it a new event or a new training style or a new location. You know, I just remember so many times I'd be like, Jeff, my, my sports psychologist, Jeff, things are getting stale. He's like, well, pack your bags and go train somewhere else. And I would, I would remember during the winters, the hardest part for me was training through Oregon winters. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I physically, yeah, can't train through the Oregon winters anymore. You don't get a ray of sunlight no, uh, for, in Oregon for six, during the winter. For like it's... four months, you don't see the sun. It's constantly rainy. It's cold. Yeah. And so about the age of like 28, 29, I talked to my coach, my sports psychologist said, I physically can't train through an Oregon winter. And I packed my bags. I went to Mexico one winter, two winters. I went to Australia for a couple of winters. I went to LA. I said, basically <clears> from, from like Jan 1 to April 1, or actually May 1, because I would do altitude also. I'm like, Man. I'm gone. I am gone. And I saw the world, and it made it made what was the worst part of my job, training through an Oregon winter, into the best part of my job. Exploring the world you know, on somebody else's dime and training in Australia or training in Mexico was so much fun. Interesting. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Nick. And you, you heard it from Nick. Change your attitude and change what you're doing. Don't repeat the same mistake you're already making. Absolutely. Well, well Nick, Thank you so much uh, for joining us on Jibber Jabber with JPJ. Uh, follow Nick Nick Simmons on Instagram, and I believe you have a you're a YouTuber as well. You have yeah, a thriving a YouTube, YouTube account. Videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do. What's I your handle? Religiously in high school, like, thank okay, you so how much. How do I get better at the 800? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> all, all my teammates, we all are big fans. Yeah, oh, I appreciate it. So awesome. I got two channels. Nick Simmons is kind of the more viral content. We, we're cranking out you know videos that are getting million views frequently. And then the other channels, Nick Simmons too, and that's more running niche, you know, commentary. Awesome, awesome, Nick. And look, I, I can't thank you enough again for the amazing moments that you created in sports. I mean, to this day, I, I, you know, I've seen a lot of Olympic races, and they're, you know, they're fun to watch. You know, David Rudisha was great because I mean, I don't think we've ever seen a runner like him. I mean, his no. stride was like his, made in a gazelle. factory. Yeah, yeah, it was it was completely insane, but. You know, to this day, you know, if I need a, just a little bit of, you know, motivation, you know, I'll go onto the YouTube and I'll watch that 2008 Olympic trial, 800 meter run. For all of you listening, if you need any inspiration for whatever reason, you should go on and watch that video on YouTube. It will get you jacked up. I'm telling you, I've never heard Hayward Field yell as loudly as they did in that video. I think the commentators may have even said something like that. It's really a moment in time where the underdog sees the opportunity and we just don't see that a lot in sports and it was really 
one of my all-time favorite moments in sports. So Nick, can't thank you enough for the inspiration from that, and we'll continue following your career. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Hey, it's all, pleasure's all mine. I appreciate it. Great questions, and you know, you listeners, if you have any other follow-ups, I always say you guys can ask me anything. So you know, DM me, and I'll uh, get back to you as soon as I can. Right on. Thanks a lot, Nick. Thank you, guys. That was so interesting. That was so cool. Oh my god! I'm right? Wasn't that cool? I want Nick to be my coach and like my like. He's dad, so uncle, cool. Cousin, like. Oh, he's an he's an <laughs> awesome guy. That was one of the most interesting conversations I've ever had with anyone. Ever. And it's also comforting to know that you can train really hard, you can be an elite athlete, and still have a good time. Well, I, for one, don't run. I've never run for fun in my life. Um, I think it's torture, but that was so interesting. It makes me want to... No, it, I still don't want to run, actually. But it was so <laughs> interesting, and yeah, I had a do. great time listening. You can still apply the same... Uh, strategies that Nick outlined to enhance your life, even if you aren't an athlete, because it has worked for me in, in multiple facets, facets of my life. So I definitely recommend he is the real deal. Yeah, I think we can all agree that the champion that he is transcends running, and you can without question apply everything that he's done to track and field to your everyday life to conquer whatever competition or obstacle that you have in front of you. Make sure you go check out Nick Simmons on Instagram, YouTube, and his company Run Gum. If you happen to be in need of a caffeine, caffeine stimulant, it's a great product. And I really hope that you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as I did with Nick. Yeah, thanks for having me on, John. Of course, Jilly. And thank you guys for tuning in to Jibber Jabber with JPJ. Jibber Jabber with JPJ! Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.